Hello, everyone. Welcome in to Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner. It is Wednesday, August 3rd, and I'm recapping this in about the middle of the afternoon. The Twins, a little less than an hour ago, just wrapped up winning the rubber match of a three-game set with the Detroit Tigers, as Burt Blylev used to he always call him Detroit not Detroit, like he really emphasized the E. That's beside the point. Uh, the Minnesota Twins got a big win this afternoon. Wasn't, you know, thoroughly convincing. They didn't win 10 nothing or their starting staff. They were quietly good today, but nothing overbearingly impressive. And you know what? That's just kind of how the Twins have been this season. They've been good, not overbearingly impressive. And right now they are in first place as it looks like Cleveland has already won. Chicago looks like they're on track to win. So the Twins will still hold a one-game lead in the AL Central heading in to a four-game set with the Toronto Blue Jays coming up over the weekend, but that's not really the point of this podcast. We'll kind of break down more of the Toronto series and how everything's going and and all that kind of stuff later. This is a little bit of the post-trade deadline reaction I want to do a little bit. I didn't really get a chance to do it yesterday. I wanted to do a podcast on it, an emergency pod, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I was writing a piece for Zone Coverage, uh, that kind of took up most of my time. Also had some family stuff going on. It, it just didn't quite work out to get there, but, uh, I really want to talk about some trade deadline stuff today. First, I want to remind you, I have a piece out for zone coverage talking about one of the arms. The twins just signed in Tyler Malley. If you want to read that, you can go to zonecoverage.com and you'll see the article up there anyway. Uh, but what importantly I want to talk about is these three pitchers that the twins end up getting in the trade deadline. And let's just go in order of how these moves were made because the Twins significantly improved their pitching staff. Uh, They're not going to be top in baseball. They're not going to be blowing people away. They're not going to be shutting everybody out by any means. But the Twins took a unit that was slumping, that was just downright bad, and they've got it back to the respectable level that it just needs to be at with how good this offense has been. The Twins, I mean, this has been the Twins' bread and butter for, what, nigh on 20 years now? You just need good enough pitching and have some really good sluggers in your lineup to take care of things. That's what happened in the early 2000s when you had guys like David Ortiz, when you had Torrey Hunter at the beginning, when you had all those guys. And then you got to the Maurer and Morneau eras. And then now even you had the Baba squad in 2019 and 2020. You still had a lot of those same guys. And really, the pitching staff is just kind of hunger down the fort and don't basically just do enough to not lose the game, and that's kind of what it's been for pitching. The Twins are back on that level now. They've gotten three big-time uh, pitching acquisitions and that they got a hold of, first of all, a guy who's a sneaky, underrated move. I think most Twins fans probably don't know who he is, uh, but he's a, and most of baseball probably just kind of shrugs it off because of the team he played for. But the Twins' acquisition of Jorge Lopez is going to be phenomenal for this team. Uh, I can't get over uh, kind of my excitement for just the moves the Twins made. For Mally, we'll get to Mally in a second, but uh, but Lopez is a good arm that the Twins just acquired. Uh, you look at his stat line this season, uh, he's a guy who, if you look at his career ERA, you can kind of be like, ah, I don't know about Lopez, like what's going on with him. He's been around a long time. Uh, Lopez has. Um, so... Initially, he was a starting pitcher. He was a starting pitcher for a handful of seasons in Kansas City and then was a couple years in uh, in Baltimore until 
they Baltimore this coming season decided or this season decided to move him into the bullpen and since he's been there he's been phenomenal his career ERA was somewhere like six before becoming a, uh, a reliever and not only did he become a dang good reliever he became a dang good closer on a sneaky not not great but a sneaky uh, competent Baltimore team and uh, so when you look at Jorge Lopez uh, and his stat line for the for Baltimore this season, as I'm waiting here for a second for it to load up, but his saves so far this season, uh, he had 19 saves coming into today's ball game. He had an ERA of 1.68. Uh, he had pitched in about 50 innings, just a little bit under. His FIP is about 2.99, which shows that it's really. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of, he's not getting lucky a ton. It's not kind of that he's genuinely pitching good. Now you look at his fastball velocity, which now being a reliever means you can kind of get an extra mile or two on that. He's throwing a career high in terms of velocity with 97 and a half miles an hour, kind of being his average fastball. Uh, I, I mean, just, there's a lot of the kind of bare numbers. You don't have to look too hard to see that uh, Jorge Lopez is going to be a good pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, and that this is something they desperately needed. Not just that the Twins, the Twins couldn't afford to get just a Sergio Romo kind of arm. In 2019, the Twins kind of did that uh, because they had Taylor Rogers in the back end of the bullpen. He was, I know the Twins don't really like to give out the title of closer, but he was a de facto closer for that team. And now that, uh, and now that they have that taken care of, now that the Twins uh, have this back end of the bullpen thing taken care of because Jorge Lopez is going to be basically this team's closer. Baldelli, again, they don't like to use the title, but Baldelli kind of mentioned uh, over the last 24 hours that, yeah, they like to see him in a lot of ninth inning situations. So he's not necessarily the quote-unquote closer, but yeah, he'll be a guy in a lot of closing situations. So he'll be high leverage for sure. He's going to come in in the eighth ninth innings, the seventh if it's a really big jam. But even you look at the underlying numbers, again, as we talk about Jorge Lopez on fan graphs, if you look at his percentile rankings, it shows you that he doesn't get a lot of guys to chase. His fastball doesn't have a ton of movement. His curveball doesn't have a ton of movement. The walks can kind of get out of control, which is something that really every reliever can say. But really where he excels is the fact that he throws the ball hard. And it's been really hard for hitters to time up in terms of how that's been. So Lopez has been really good in that category. He just is able to throw hard because he's a guy who's used to trying to save his arm for five, six, seven innings. And now he can just go ham for three batters, ideally. So Lopez is a guy who really has been just about perfect all year. Heck, two of his blown saves were against the Twins this season. Buxton hit the walk-off home run. Miranda had the walk-off hit against him. So really, if you take the Twins out of the equation, his ERA probably is somewhere closer to like under one and a half. So he's been a really, really good closer for Baltimore. And one of the bigger impacts of this trade for the Twins is that one, they gave up Yanir Cano, who doesn't matter. He's a nobody. He's just a body Baltimore needs to fill in their bullpen. The Twins gave up three kind of single-A arms, essentially. Florida Complex League. I think the Complex League is what it's called because they all play at the minor. They all play at the spring training complexes. Uh, but that the, the thing is they didn't have to give up 
a guy who's ready to pitch right now. They didn't have to dip into some of these pitchers who are kind of sitting in double, triple A, kind of maybe they can be used in 2023, that kind of thing. They didn't have to dip into that. But Jorge Lopez is going to be on this team for the next, not just this season, but he's also going to be in 2023 and in 2024. There's immense team control with Jorge Lopez on a relatively cheap deal. Fangraphs has his AAV average annual value listed at $1.5 million. I mean, this is a slam dunk, and he's going to be the Twins' closer for the next couple of years if everything goes well. And the Twins, by the way, haven't had great success picking out free agent closers. So if this guy can fit the bill, this will be huge because that means they are not going to go out and sign Fernando Rodney and Alexander Colome. That that helps out this team immensely. And we'll touch on this a little bit more with Molly, but teams are uh, Mali, but teams are really, really uh, emphasizing team control in a lot of these trades, and teams are more willing to trade guys early. We'll touch on that in a little bit, but I think when you look at that impact for the bullpen, I think having a this is a move. Not just to get a body in, as I mentioned earlier. Not just a Sergio Romo to come in and, yeah, you'll pitch in the 7th and 8th. Heck, maybe even the ninth inning. But, like, you're just kind of a guy. You're a cog in the machine. No, he's coming in with the expectation to be, I mean, depending on, you know, if you're not high on Duran. I mean, he's the number two bullpen guy for the Twins. Duran's the best guy, although you could say he doesn't have a ton of big league experience. He's not a, the Twins don't really want to use him in that closer role. So it's 1A, 1B, depending on how you view Duran, depending on how high you view Lopez. Duran is number one in my book. And then number two, it's Lopez. And then once you get down to Lopez, then you get down to uh, Fulmer, a guy the Twins traded for, kind of Fulmer, Thielbar, and Griffin Jacks, all kind of range into that three through five range. And it really just depends on how high you are on each of them. Thielbar's the lefty in the pen. Maybe he gets up to number three, whatever. Griffin Jacks has had a good season Whatever you want to say, this Twins bullpen all of a sudden is sneaky deep. N- not the deepest in baseball, but again, a sneaky deep. The, that Now that you have Lopez as your number one, it means Duran doesn't have to be relegated to the ninth inning. And the, you saw this all the time in Twins games. The Twins love to use him in the eighth inning, but then they couldn't have anybody to close things out in the ninth. And that would be the, you know, the, the great debate of do you have the, the guy come in and pitch when you're winning in the eighth, or do you wait and hope that you're still winning in the ninth, and whatever. Now they don't really have to do that as much because they can kind of one-two punch him. Or if you use Duran one night, you have you don't have to be as cautious you don't have to be as uh kind of tactically inclined to use him because like oh if we use him tonight we can't use him tomorrow night well now you have Lopez to kind of shield that blow a little bit but the point is the twins have five now guys who you can be confident in you have Lopez you have Duran you have uh you have Fulmer you have Thielbar and you have Jax those are five guys and that means that Tyler Duffy Scoots down to number six. That means Pagan is like down to number seven in terms of the Twins' bullpen pecking order. And that, I mean, Pagan was like, the Twins were using him like he was in the top three. For now, him to basically be relegated to bench duty and mop-up duty and whatever, Twins are up seven to one on a random Wednesday. I, I Like, that. that's ideal. That is ideal. Pagan isn't the worst bullpen arm. It's that the Twins were putting him in way too many high leverage situations. For a chance for him to come in like this will be huge for that as well. So 
now that I'm kind of just stuck on this bullpen topic, I mentioned his name a second ago. The Twins also got Michael Fulmer, and that was another big get for this team. He's not... He uh, he's again kind of follows that Lopez route of Fulmer. You remember him? He pitched for Detroit. He was a rookie of the year, I believe, in 2016 as a starter. He was a guy who showed a lot of potential for Detroit, and then the last couple of years as a starter, he really fell off. But the Twins were able, and then uh, the Tigers, I should say, were able to kind of figure him out as a reliever. That's kind of the thing. Sometimes you have a starter, his stuff's really good, he can't quite get it to translate, so you basically minimize the amount of time you need him in the game and hope that you can squeeze a little bit better quality if you take away the quantity. And that's essentially what's happened. You look at the ERA for Fulmer in 2020, it was like an ERA of eight. And you look at the ERA in 20, he didn't pitch at all in 2019, but you look at 2018, the ERA was above four and a half. But then he moves to the bullpen last season. He has an ERA under three. He has an ERA just above three this year, but he was still a guy who's pitched about 40 innings or so for Detroit. Uh, he's He gets the strikeouts a little bit. Again, the walks are going to be an issue, but again, that's almost something you can say with every bullpen guy, but the walks especially, he's averaging over four and a half walks per nine. I know he's a reliever, so it doesn't quite equate as much, but still, a lot of walks. Uh, he's a guy that that's kind of the thing you got to watch out for, but he's a vet. He's been in the league since 2016. He has no postseason experience because he's been rotting away in Detroit, but He's a guy that they can use in some situations, be that mop-up kind of role, uh, not mop-up, but be that kind of sixth, seventh inning guy. And he was used in the, uh believe he was used in the sixth inning today in the win over Detroit. So, I mean, he just had to walk clubhouses. He knew how to face those guys and uh, he had a good inning. So I think he's not going to be a guy who's going to need to come in with the bases loaded and two gone in the seventh inning with the team's best hitter up. He's... Going to be a guy who can come in in some key spots. He can come in when you're winning 3-1 to one in the sixth inning and come in and try and hold the lead for you. He's a guy who, when you're down one nothing in the seventh inning, you can throw him in there and he'll keep the game one nothing and allow your lineup to come over and try and get you the lead. So I think, again, he's not a guy who's... He's a guy who's been productive for Detroit this season. Detroit's had a sim, actually surprisingly decent bullpen. They haven't been able to score runs this year. Uh, I really like Michael Fulmer, uh, and again, he doesn't have to come in. And like Emilio Pagan, I think the biggest thing wasn't just, the, I think getting Pagan wasn't necessarily the worst thing. If you looked at it when the trade came around, you're like, all right, he's a bullpen guy. He's a guy. He's a bullpen guy, and that's not a compliment. He's just a guy who's going to be there and maybe pitch every few days and whatever. It's when the Twins kind of had to put Pagan. He had to, Pagan was saving games for this team a couple months ago, and now he's basically been relegated to the worst pitcher in the bullpen. So, I mean, th- that's how far this Twins bullpen has come with these recent moves and just kind of w- how bad it was before and how much it desperately needed this change. So Michael Fulmer comes in and provides another strong option for this Twins team uh, to come in out of the bullpen and make some noise. Uh, I Again, I just, he's a, he's a righty. And again, Lopez is a righty as well. Uh, One last thing I want to touch on with the bullpen, and I mentioned Thielbar's name. Thielbar's been on the IL for the last couple weeks. So getting Caleb Thielbar back is also another sign. I mean, a week ago, your number one guy was Duran, and then it was Duffy and Pagan. That was kind of who you had to roll with. Uh, I know Giovanni Moran is there. I know know, uh, they've had a couple other guys bounce around. But 
they've been able to now all of a sudden flip it on its head, and now you have Lopez, Duran, and you have Jax, and you have Thielbar, and you have Fulmer. Those five guys are your top five. And again, in the playoffs, how good your bullpen pitches is going to be key. This isn't a World Series winning bullpen, or at least not one that you're going to feel confident in on paper. Uh, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that they've put themselves in a much better position. This isn't going to, this bullpen isn't going to wow you. This starting rotation, when we get to that, isn't going to wow you. But at the end of the day, now that the Twins are post trade deadline, one, is the team in a better position to win the division? Yes. Are they a better team on paper? Yes. And I think that's also due to the fact that the White Sox and Guardians really didn't do anything. The Guardians' only trade was giving the Tandy Leone their catcher, who, by the way, got to Minneapolis in the morning, started for the Twins this afternoon, and had two RBIs and really got the Twins in front with a two-run double early, and the Twins didn't look back from there. By the way, uh, I haven't had a chance to fully research this yet, but Sandy Leone's numbers at Target Field, incredibly good, as Corey Provis mentioned on the Twins radio broadcast earlier this afternoon. So, I mean, other than just being a veteran catcher, other than having a Cleveland connection with uh, with Falvey, uh, really, or uh, Levine, excuse me, uh, but no, Falvey, Falvey was the one from Cleveland, but either way, uh, he's a guy who came in and gave the Twins a win, and Cleveland, like, the Twins, there's a good chance they don't win this game, or it's a lot harder to win this game if Leon didn't play for the Twins today, and Cleveland would have been tied for first place, and they just traded us their guy, I, I, uh, uh, the Twins, I should say. They say they traded us their guy. So it, it it's, again, Cleveland is not great. They botched the trade deadline like they do almost every year. Uh, and Chicago, I mean, they got uh, they got Diekman, I think. Was that it? Or who who did? I don't even know who they really traded for. Uh, n- nobody, really. I mean, nothing nothing that wows you. They didn't, Chicago, and again, they're a healthy lineup when good, and you could say their pitching staff has had an unlucky year, so you could say that they just wanted to keep the staff together, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, at least in terms of winning the trade deadline out of the three American League Central teams, the Twins have won the trade deadline. Now, that doesn't always translate into success, but it is a sign of saying that this front office is taking a swing and trying to put this team in position, not just to win the American League Central, because you could have made a case, not strongly, but you could have made a case that the Twins were going to win the Central almost no matter what. But now it's like not only are they putting themselves in a better position to win the Central, but also to make some noise in the playoffs if they were to get to that point. So now let's get to the guy I want to talk to, Tyler Malley. Uh, a couple of podcasts ago, I said I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name. Mally. Mally like Bally. That's essentially how it was explained to me on the Twitter machine. Uh, props to Nash Walker of Locked on Twins for pointing that out. Uh, but anyway, uh, Tyler Mally is a really, really good pitcher. He's not, again, he's not the Luis Castillo like his teammate was in Cincinnati. He's not, uh, he's not Frankie Montes who was in Oakland and now, of course, got traded to the Yankees. Those were the one-two options on a bullet, Castillo in Cincinnati and Montes in Oakland. And we've talked about him a little bit on the podcast, and heck, we probably talked about him way back when we were the Minnesota Sports Podcast back in the early spring. But uh, now the Twins were able, and they've always been kind of linked to Mally, or at least Twins kind of writers, people kind of in the know, are like, hey, Mally's a guy that like the Twins could go after. He kind of fits the bill of what they want to do. And that's exactly what they did. They waited until the trade deadline and not in March 
But better late than never as Mally is now in a Twins uniform. And I really like this piece. I really like this trade. I really like what the Twins are getting. The Twins gave up a lot to get him. Uh, and we'll mention that in a second. But Mally is coming over to the Twins. If you look at his baseline numbers, if you just go to fan graphs, you look up his page right now, he has an ERA of four of just under four and a half. It's a 4.4 ERA. He has a strikeout rate of about... 26 percent uh his walks stay pretty low he's more of a fly ball pitcher essentially he's a fly ball pitcher with an era over four almost to four and a half and at first you look at that and you say the twins gave up a decent amount of prospects and decent amount of, they gave up three of their top 20 prospects for that well, he's a lot better than you think his stat line doesn't necessarily do him justice at least his back of the baseball card stat line. It's when you really start to kind of dig into his splits and his underlying numbers that you see he's a quality pitcher just kind of waiting to to bubble over the surface and really show uh, kind of how good he is. He's only 27 years old. Again, the team control aspect, he's going to be with the Twins through next season. So he's going to be on this team next year as well. So now you have Sonny Gray, who's going to be a twin next year. Uh, you have Joe Ryan, who's going to be a twin next year. And now Tyler Malley, who's going to be a twin. You also pair that up with Chris Paddock. That's four pitchers, depending on if the Twins, kind of what they want to do with Kenta Maeda, if they want to keep him in the rotation, use him as a bullpen arm. That's five. That's a rotation. And depending on what you do with Carlos Correa, you have a bunch of money to go throw at a starter if he doesn't come back. So the Twins now all of a sudden have positioned themselves to have their pitching staff not just be good for the rest of the season, but into 2023 as well. More importantly, though, that we're focused on 2022. But if you look at the underlying numbers of Mally, uh, his home road splits are kind of the biggest thing that people will use to defend him. And, and I'm with that too, is that um, if you look at who he is at home, Tyler Mally, uh, if you look at that numbers at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, one of the most, if not the most, pitcher-friendly ballpark in the world, or at least in Major League Baseball. Uh, so let's look at a, a quick glance at a stat line. Again, 4.40 ERA normally. But when you get him out of Great American Ballpark, uh, in Great American Ballpark, I should say, pitching at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, Malley has a 4.76 ERA. But when you take him out of that and you put him on the road... He's got a 3.83 ERA, which is much more respectable. And assuming that all of his home starts are now played at Target Field, which is a much, compared to Great American Ballpark, is a much more hitter-friendly field, that ERA is going to go down. He is as an ERA under four. It's more like three and a half, maybe a little bit above. And then you say, well, yeah, but that's still a pretty high mark. I had somebody point this out to me on Twitter. I didn't really want to go back and forth. But he's like, yeah, so what? A 3.83 ERA isn't that impressive. The thing is... His ERA is going to look better for a couple of reasons. One, he's going to be playing for the Twins. He's going to be playing with some better defense at Buxton, Correa, Urshela, all the like. But he's also going to have more run support. He's also going to, uh, he's just going to be in a better environment. He's going to be pitching against some AL Central teams, relatively more hitter-friendly ballpark, uh, pitcher-friendly ballparks rather uh, than he's used to. Another thing is that he wasn't really pitching well to begin the season. He was actually the opening day starter for Cincinnati, uh, and his 
really, when you look at the first couple months of the season, he had an ERA just over five and a half. His batting average on balls in play was 295 in his first 11 starts. But if you looked at his FIP, which is fielding independent pitching, which kind of is, it's the hedge against, is your are your numbers good or are they kind of a mirage? Are you getting kind of lucky? And the 3.67 FIP suggests that he was getting a little unlucky for the performances he was churning out. So really that 3.67 FIP kind of showed that he was getting unlucky when you look at his last two months. He's at an ERA of 3.2, a batting average of balls in play that's went down 12 points, and the FIP has actually gotten lower as well. So as the numbers adjusted really kind of back to where they should have been over the last couple months, which is good because it's showing he's getting better as the season goes on. He had a rough start. He found himself. He's getting out of Great American Ballpark where... Uh, it's been a a struggle for him in that field. He gets to a more pitcher-friendly ballpark, a better environment in the Twins. Uh, And again, he's a a fly ball pitcher, which is why he explains why Great American Ballpark is such an issue for him. 46% of his balls put in play are fly balls. He has a 46% fly ball rate uh, paired with the short field in Cincinnati. You can kind of see why the home run numbers jump up as much as they do. And really kind of taking a deep... So that's one thing of why I think Malley's going to be good. I, I want to preface that. He played in a bad ballpark for the way he liked to pitch as a fly ball pitcher. You know, more in the target field, you have Byron Buxton roaming around in center field. That's going to help out a lot. Um, I think that's I think that's just going to help for Malley. Another reason that's going to help is I think he really is a lot of the characteristics that the Twins like to see in their pitchers. So Malley throw, if you look at his pitch repertoire, repertoire, like if you have bougie you want to get here, 51% fastballs. He's a big fastball pitcher. Uh, Change-ups are his next best pitch. He uses that at 25%. Sliders, 13%. He also throws a cutter at about 11%. This is all according to Baseball Savant. Uh, his slider usage is pretty low. Although if you look, and maybe, and it's hard to tell now that Wes Johnson's gone, how much of it is a Wes Johnson thing and just a Twins thing more broadly, but the Twins really like to utilize the slider pitch. Uh, so he's a guy who's thrown 13% sliders. That has been an ideal pitch for him. If there's one thing the Twins maybe try and unlock, try and redevelop, whatever it could be, you could see that as the slider and see that take off for him. Now, maybe they use that more in bullpen arms compared to starters, whatever. That's kind of what they like to do in that direction. Uh, but the fastball is really his go-to pitch. That's really going to be where his bread is buttered. And you look at a guy like Joe Ryan today, his fastball usage was uh, a lot higher in his start. There was a graphic on Bally. It showed his fastball usage up incredibly more than it was against San Diego when they hit five home runs off of him for probably the worst outing of his career. So the Twins... They like guys who use the fastball. They like to kind of tap into that slider, although they're fond of guys who can really make it work with the fastball as well. Another thing, though, is Malley doesn't really throw hard. He doesn't have that high velocity. He's not going to crank it in at Duran like Duran and throw 95, 97 miles an hour. He's a guy who doesn't really have that. If you look at um, Malley's a fastball, average fastball speed is... Uh, we're looking that up here. The average fastball speed for Mally this season has been uh, has been 93 miles an hour, 93 and a half. Down a little bit from last year, where it was just above 94, but it really hasn't gotten much above that in his career. So he's not a guy who really throws 
the fastball that hard, but what he's able to do is he's able to get a lot of spin and movement on it. He's able to kind of, that's the hedge. He doesn't throw it very fast, but he has a little bit of movement on it. Makes it hard for hitters to time up. In terms of his spin and movement, Malley is one of the better pitchers in baseball. Uh, percentile rankings, according to Baseball Savant, his numbers are just up there. He's a guy who can do that a lot. He's a guy, as mentioned, I believe it was on MLB Network, talking about, you know, he's able to use that high fastball. He's able to kind of work it like that. Uh, and that spin and helps him throw that again. Malley's a righty, so it just helps out a lot when you're able to throw that high fastball and you're able to prevent it from getting taken out of the yard, especially as a fly ball pitcher. And again, I just think the underlying kind of who Malley is as a pitcher, something the Twins really like to work with. And then you look at getting him out of Great American Ballpark. You just, all these underlying things not only show that, one, he's a good pitcher on his own. He's comparable, though, to Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray in terms of he's a top-of-the-end starting rotation piece, and if all goes well, the Twins might potentially have another number one starting pitcher. Joe Ryan was your opening day starting pitcher. Sonny Gray has been an opening day starting pitcher before. You pair Tyler Malley now in here and get that in the mix, and this Twins team looks so much more impressive from the starting rotation standpoint. And that's huge because... Now, especially with Winder going down with a shoulder injury, who knows when he'll be back. You don't really have any other good starting pitching options. Uh, Aaron Sanchez was somebody the Twins just called up like for a, to make a spot start a couple days ago. Devin Smelter got batted around yesterday for St. Paul. There's not really a ton of good options that they really have to pull down from AAA. So it looks like the starting rotation, at least for the time being, is going to consist a lot of Mally, Ryan, Gray. Then you have Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer, who have not been good, but at the very least, you can now mask their flaws a lot more with three solid starting pitchers in between. And with the bullpen getting better, it means you can really start to live by that five and dive rule that the Twins have really been emphasizing with most of their pitchers. I mean, Gray and Ryan is more like six and fly, but even then, uh, and that adds with the bullpen as well. So this all gets into the broader point of, okay, you can probably win the Central. That's you know, that's not super hard. We'll see how it goes. There's still two months of baseball left to be played before it's all said and done, but the Twins have put themselves in a really good spot, and if they get on one hot stretch, I think they can at least get out far enough to where it's going to be very tough for the other two teams to catch them. But if the Twins get into the playoffs, that's the more important part. We know this Twins team can make the playoffs in the AL Central, but can they actually make a playoff run? Can they win a playoff game? That's been the number one question because I'm sick and tired of people making fun of the Twins for losing playoff games. That's I want that narrative to die. I want it to be done. I want the Twins to make the playoffs and I want them to win a game. It's high expectations to win a playoff game. I know. I know it's a lot to ask. Sarcasm there. But they have a lot more material. They have a lot more players to be able to do that now because... Malley now is a potential game one starting pitcher. At the very least, you have Sonny Gray and Joe Ryan who can do that. You have three guys who can all start a playoff game and you feel comfortable with. Bundy and Archer, you do not. But those three guys you do. And keep in mind with the new playoff format, three wildcard teams now, that it's a fir- the first round is like 2020. It's a three-game, it's a best of three, you gotta win two, series all played in one ballpark and it'd be the twins it'd be at target field if they were to win the central 
and there you go. The Twins would have to win two out of those three. Mally, Gray, and Ryan make it a lot easier to do that. And now those and even if you somehow the Twins were able to not only win a playoff game but win the series, they then get into the ALDS. And what helps you out there is the fact of that playoff games are a little more spaced out. I believe, uh, you know, it's like one on, uh, two on, one off, and all that kind of stuff. You can at least try and space out your pitching a little better. It's not ideal, but you can do it. Um, so that helps out as well. And it doesn't necessarily save you. I mean, Bundy and Archer are going to have to pitch some meaningful innings for this team down the stretch, and it's hard to mask that. But uh, they've at least put themselves in a good spot to minimize their flaws uh, a lot more than they could have said a a week ago. So this Twins team, all in all, has gotten better. And lastly, I want to talk about some of the prospects the Twins had to give up to get to this point. Uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand was a Twins' fourth-round draft pick last season. He was out of Oklahoma State. He had a nice little season there uh, for... Uh, the Twins, he was uh, his last year, and then he followed it up with a really good first full season of pro ball. And I'm trying to find his stats here from this first uh, from his first full season. And Encarnacion Strand, again the number 23 prospect in the Twins system, uh, he had he was had a 302 batting average, 374 on base, 986 uh, slug or uh, 986 slugging believe is that that number that's pulled up there. Uh, so he's had himself a good season, 25 home runs in double A. He was having a good year, and it probably wouldn't have taken him super long to get to the big leagues, but he's an infielder. And that's the same thing with Spencer Steer, the Twins' number seven prospect. He was having a great year. He just got called up to triple A and has been mashing the ball. And between double and triple A this year, he's had a 269 average, 361 on base, 528, uh, slugging 20 home runs between the two leagues. And just again, it is not that these guys aren't good players or that they couldn't have found themselves a home on the twins. But I mean, you look at Urshela at third base, he's under contract for next year. And even if it's not Urshela, it's probably Miranda at third base because at first base is likely Kirilov or a rise and second base is Polanco and shortstop is going to be for either Carlos Correa or Royce Lewis. And if Royce and if uh, Carlos Correa ends up coming back to the Twins, which everybody wants, uh, who knows if that actually happens? But Royce Lewis slides over to third base. Problem solved. I mean, Royce Lewis isn't going to come back for, at least for the first month or so. It's very hard to tell when officially he'll be back. Uh, but the point is the Twins kind of already have their infield kind of mapped out. There's really not a big league home for some of these guys. Now, if the Twins really wanted to make it work, I'm sure they could figure something out, but their prospects that were expendable, and that's the point of having deep prospects, is yes, you're giving up players that could be good major league guys, but you don't really need them right now, and the point is to win this season. So it's like first-round picks. Yes, those first-round picks could be useful, and you do have places you could use them at, but also you're trying to win now, so isn't it it worth giving up future assets to try and win in the present? And that's exactly what the Timberwolves did, getting Rudy Gobert and all those first-round picks. That doesn't bother me trading those first-round picks. It also doesn't bother me giving up a couple prospects. Encarnacion Strand and Spencer Steer are good prospects. There's a good chance that they'll be solid big league players, but... 
They don't help the Twins in 2022, and there's not even a good shot they help the Twins in 2023. Steer is in his mid-20s. He's 24 years old. Do you want a guy 25 years old, 26 years old, finally starting to crack the big leagues? That's not ideal, and it's not ideal for Steer either. Let him get to Cincinnati. He'll get to the big leagues faster. He'll get more playing time at that level. Same thing with Encarnacion Strand. The other pitcher in the deal was Steve Hiar. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. The number 18 prospect in the twin system. He's a nice left-handed pitching prospect, although he's stuck in single A right now. So he had, a, again, a few years for him. He probably doesn't get to the big leagues till 2024 at the earliest. So it's, again, not likely he was going to get up here and help the twins anytime soon. But who can help the twins a lot is Mally, who will be here for the rest of this year and in 2022 or 2023 as well. All things considered. The Minnesota Twins have made their bullpen and starting rotation much better. Sandy Leone was a nice little addition at catcher, but he's just a backup. He's just going to be a guy who they needed, but the, he's not much to it. He's not going to. He's not going to. He's not going to move the needle for the Twins at all, like these pitchers can. The lineup, when they're clicking, is as good as any. Is almost as good as any other playoff lineup. When you look at Buck, Peak Buxton. A solid Polanco and a rise. Correa on his game. Jose Miranda heating up. That's five hitters right there. And, you know, depending on what you can get from Urshela and Sanchez and whatever, you know what I'm saying. The point is, this is a good Twins lineup, and they're finally going to be rewarded with some pitching that's competent enough to put them in a position to win games. If you look at the Twins, they would have had a guy like Lopez closing games for them when Pagan was during that stretch when Pagan lost them like three games on his own, and just when Duffy lost the Twins a couple games, having to pitch in the ninth inning. If you have a guy like Fulmer and you have a Lopez in that bullpen, the Twins win a lot of those games. They're probably five more games ahead in the division, or at least five more wins and at least a few more games ahead in the AL Central standings. So that helps out a lot. And I can't get over the fact of how much now just... It's not better. It's not like they are miles and miles better. They're not the best team in baseball, and nor will they be, but they're so much more competent now to play meaningful baseball games, and that's going to be fun to see. Now, again, we're going to have to see how the games are played, and we're going to have to factor all of that in. They won the trade deadline. Now they have to do the most important part, which is win out the rest of the regular season. Win as many games as you can, win the American League Central, and try and make some noise in the playoffs. That's the most important part. They've won the trade deadline. Now they need to go win some actual baseball games. All right, this has been Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner. Hope you enjoyed listening. We'll have another one out real soon. We'll see you guys next time.